dinosaur? They throw yeah, that mask that sound? Back Yikes. We're going. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. The coffee is brewing. No, the coffee's already been brewed. It's brewified. We're going to tell you about <laughs> it later because we just made it. So it's a zillion degrees. So we're going to wait until halfway through the podcast, and then we're going to talk about it. We're going to give you some tasting notes when it's just right. Like uh, Berenstein banana, uh, three little Goldilocks. Bears. Goldilocks. There it is. Oh boy. There we go. All right. What are you sipping on? What's that scissorp you're sipping on over there? Oh. Uh huh. <laughs> Our newest sponsor. <laughs> I love that you just give us sponsors. We're not actually sponsored by anything. Yeah, we uh, are. No, we are brand ambassadors for many things, but we are not sponsored by anything. Not this yet. This podcast is sponsored <laughs> by C4 Smart Energy. If you've had regular C4, it will wake, it will light you up. It will light you up. I don't know that, yeah, it won't wake you up. You, you're you not awake as much as like you just feel Alive. your entire body. You've <laughs> never been more awake as when you've had a C4. So bad. Anyway, these are toned down a little bit. Yes. Uh, super brain performance fuel. So if you're going to do math problems, things like that, if you're working on computers, you're kind of one of those people you work on computers. Be nice. Hammer hammer through one of these C4s and you are on it. It's got all kind of, it's got Innovate in it, Cognizant. So I don't know really what either of those are, but look it up. You know what I mean? Makes you smarter and has a great taste. But that's not what Ryan and I are drinking. We're drinking old school coffee, black, from Rwanda. And we're going to tell you about it once it cools down. In the meantime, what are we talking about today? Q&A. Q&A. Listeners submitted questions. We're going to give you mostly true answers. <laughs> mostly true. Uh, that's not true. <laughs> that, we, that is a lie. What if we flipped it up and we, like, everyone thought it was going to be... They submit questions, we submit answers, but we just keep asking questions. We just to the, flip the script on them and yeah. ask them questions, and the answer, you have to yell it into your uh, <laughs> car radio. And we never hear them? No, 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 maybe. Sense. Video that doesn't yourself make doing sense. it. Video. Video. Upload it into Truth Coach. That would work for our clients, but not for potentially our other listeners. Other listeners, email us. Your video screaming the answer into the car radio. First question, do you put syrups in your coffee? <laughs> do you? When you go to, do you, Amanda, to my left, uh, when you go to Starbucks, Starbucks, in a normal period, do you throw throw a couple syrups in there? Sugar-free, like two pumps. Can I have two pumps of vanilla? Two and one for And then they... sugar-free? No. Two pumps of vanilla, one of... I don't even know what other flavors they have. Hazelnut? No. Uh, the only thing that I got excited about is when they started the foam, and they did the like almond milk foam, and that was about like the extent of something that I tried. <laughs> other than that, no. Just just black coffee. I don't... What's a cannonator do? She throws some syrups in there? Uh, eh, sometimes. Yeah, she's not afraid, not afraid to get... She has like super um, elaborate orders. So oh. it's not like she'll like get X, Y, and Z, the pumpkin, pumpkin, ice, whoever, but then she does a bunch of stuff that it's not actually the pumpkin, ice, whatever. It's, it's effectively coffee with ice in it. Modified. Yeah. 
modified. Yeah. So, question and answers. <laughs> now that we've talked about all things caffeine, which seems to be our uh, running skit at the beginning of these things. I'll pose a question to you guys. This wasn't one that I, I submitted this one. Oh, oh, oh. Yeah, oh, oh all right. <laughs> an answer. What are your thoughts on pre-workout? Ooh. Like, so it's 11 a.m. tomorrow, and I'm going in to get wild. Should I take pre-workout? You're back into it tomorrow for reals, right? Mm, no. No. Okay. <laughs> yeah. We're just taking our time getting back into it. I'm just, yeah. Guys living the high life post-competition here. Um, so, I don't know. It depends. For me, I've tried a few different pre-workouts. Some of them, like, as much caffeine that I drink throughout the day, certain pre-workouts, they hit pretty hard to where I'm, like, awake. Awake. It's 2 o'clock in the morning, and I'm like, why am I not sleeping? Um, so if you are sensitive to caffeine, you have to be really careful with those sorts of things. Um, what about, like for me, I'm sensitive to caffeine, but what if I took like a non-stim? I don't know enough about those to know what, uh, what would the point be? I don't know. I think you get like a better pump. They have like nootropics and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, they have things that give you a better pump. And... Well, thanks. That that was the purpose of the question. So why don't you explain that a little more to our listeners so well, they understand? Maybe I will. <laughs> so there are definitely stim and less stim and non-stim pre-workouts. The thing I think one wants to think about is, does it seem like a good idea to do some bananas pre-workout for like your week one of your mesocycle? session that isn't particularly challenging or conversely would it make a lot more sense to maybe save that stuff for when you really need it right and so again that can be nebulous because you could have somebody be like well i need it i need it every day and it's like eh, that may be an indication that you're consuming a little too much caffeine generally or we're not getting enough sleep or stuff like that so definitely no problem using that stuff especially when you're trying to really really maximize your performance but we want to think about the fact, the reality, and everybody I think already knows this, is that you become desensitized to caffeine and other stimulants over time. You have to take in more and more and more. So we want to manage that, right? So we don't want to overuse it when we don't actually, when it's not merited. And right. so that would be something where you'd maybe save for those days where it is merited. And then beyond that, if you already consume a lot of caffeine, it might make sense to look into... Um, stuff that doesn't have caffeine. Sometimes it has other stimulants in it, so you're not really dodging that. It's just not caffeine. Um, but yeah, it's just one of those things that probably is sensible to read the ingredients that are in it, do a little bit of research, and then you're gonna have to probably do some anecdotal research on yourself, little case studies on yourself about how they make you feel, what your performance looks like. If you're gonna do something like that, I would repeat the same, I would do it on the same day of your workout week Right, so take it before you squat and do hinging movements, and repeat that the next week with something else. So you actually have a little more of like an apples to apples comparison because different days have different levels of difficulty or perceived difficulty. Right, like your relatively light upper body pull day is not the same as when you're going to go back squat to hack squat to you know straight leg deadlift. It's much much more difficult. Yeah, I think for for my personal use, I was not one that ever 
really did pre-workout. It wasn't until uh, now in prep, um, just because with low amounts of carbohydrates, uh, needing that extra push for workouts, especially when you're in like weeks four or five, potentially six of your mesocycle and you're really pushing the reps, you're really pushing the weight at that point. Um, and you know that the workout's gonna be longer uh, just to give you a little bit more, but outside of that, it's never really a, I need this every day kind of thing. Have you ever, I've never used pre-workout because I'm scared of caffeine. Have you ever dry scooped it? Uh, yes. Dry scooped, David explain So yeah, so if you aren't, innocent listener with effectively if you is. aren't like a, between ages like 17 and like 23, I think dry scooping doesn't apply to most people. That's but not if that, true. But <laughs> you take like you take your little mini scooper that comes in the in the pre workout bucket, and you like take the scoop and instead of dumping it into water and then shaking it up and drinking the water, you dump the scoop of like dry powder into your mouth and then take like one sip of water to wash it down. Yes, I bet the flavor is so intense. Yeah, I don't know. It's it's an interesting. Did you get thing. more like? Did you get better effects because it was like one? No, I don't. I don't know that I noticed a difference as far as like my energy levels or my performance throughout that workout. Uh, it's weird because then you've just got like chalk in your mouth, and then you're like hoping to water's just gonna wash it down. Did you feel like like a unit when you did it though? No. What oh, okay. led you to do it? What was the reason? Well, I just didn't. So it, at that point in time, I had to control my water intake. And so I was only allowed it, allotted a certain amount of water. And so it was like, okay, mm -hmm. well, I can take the pre-workout and use eight ounces of my water for the day or just dry scoop it and use just a swig of just my water. Wash it down. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. So uh, I don't know that it really made a difference uh, as far as its potency or not, um, but not something that I would do again <laughs> do again <laughs> i've seen some people do like if they take uh pre-workout and then also like a uh, like bcaas or eaas do both so they double dry double. scoop oh, yep. so it's like yeah. one scoop get the other one scoop it in and then your swig of water oh, oh yeah God. <laughs> yeah i don't that's a whole other level that i just don't get senselessly torturing yourself then they get thirsty when they're working out then what do you drink I don't know. I think you when you go have that like hard, blueberry ice when you're when you're working out. Yeah, I don't. EAAs I don't know. I don't know. I, yeah, I don't. I don't understand the purpose of doing that component prior. But I one of my favorite things to do is dry scoop my protein. Oh, oh. <laughs> I'm just kidding. oh boy! <laughs> Someone's gonna think I'm serious, you just and I'm dry not. Scoop your creatine. Yeah, I'm not actually. Day. I'm not. I don't actually do that. Oh boy. Okay. Should we get into actual actually, questions? That was actually a good first question. <laughs> Should we? Yeah. Now, it's, I like, yeah, I could talk. We could talk more about pre-workout. That might be a different thing for a different day. We just go into it and do a whole episode. Yeah, I think we've we've covered supplements before, uh, and it was something that we kind of addressed in that. Uh, but obviously, a topic that um, there's a lot of avenues that we can address with that, and a lot of different things. And uh, as the science continues and comes out. Uh, may change probably not but you know uh if you are interested in more about supplements go back and listen to our epi episode on supplements uh 
I believe that was the title of it. Supplement. Sup- so it should be really Super easy to find. We're not trying to hide it from you. <laughs> no. No. All right. So one of our actual uh, submitted questions uh, relates to rest in between sets. And obviously for our clients, uh, we prescribe rest. And so how intentional should people be with sticking to the time that we give them and or if they don't have a prescribed rest, kind of what that should look like in between their actual sets? I think generally for my general rule of thumb uh, would be like 90 seconds to two minutes, maybe two and a half minutes, somewhere in that range. And then that'll average at like two minutes of rest between sets. General rule of thumb. Other than that, obviously there's variation in terms of the movement you're doing. Sometimes you need more rest if you're back squatting heavy as opposed to doing like lateral raises. Um, And then if there's a certain intended stimulus. So rest can be a form of progression. Uh, So if there's a intent to lessen the rest, but maybe weights or volume is the same as the week prior, um, that can be a form of progression. So I think there's obviously many variables, but if you're uh, a general rule of thumb is probably two minutes. So I do the same thing. I think we all do the same thing across the board. We prescribe rest. And a lot of the reason we do this is because if we're somewhat new to exercise, it can be another variable that's very hard to manage. What ends up happening is people tend to t- not take enough rest. They tend to be in a little bit too much of a, ru- a rush. Uh, you, whether they're new to fitness or whether they're coming from a background where speed is sort of emphasized. So it can be very helpful to have prescribed rest. The actual answer though, in terms of what's optimal is dependent on what you're doing and depending on the goal. So I'm gonna give a couple examples. So if you're back squatting, the actual answer is when you can do another productive set of at least five reps. And this, we'll say this is for hypertrophy training, but strength training is about the same because strength training, you tend to have a rep target that you need to hit. So basically as much time as it's gonna take you before either in strength training, you can hit your target or in hypertrophy training where you can do at least five. So this considers local muscle, muscle, muscles, when your muscles Ooh. are tired, local <laughs> muscular fatigue, uh, which would be like your quads if you're squatting, uh, supporting musculature fatigue. So that would be like your low back if you're squatting, your cardiorespiratory fatigue, like you have to stop the set because you're breathing, you can't catch your breath, or um, nervous system fatigue, which is manifests itself as like the, the feeling that you can do another set and go hard. And so if you think about that last one, that's maybe the most nebulous is if you do a really, really hard set of something. And then I ask you tw- 10 seconds later, if you can like, all right, let's go. You're going to think to yourself, like, I can't do that. Right. You squat 315 for 10 racket. And then I say, okay, 20 seconds later, you're going to hit it. Like, let's go unrack the bar. You're like, no way. But three minutes later, you're like, all right, let's do it. And that's what we mean by nervous system fatigue is your body will limit you basically to protect itself uh, in that way. So generally that does take between say 90 seconds and maybe three minutes 
for all that stuff to happen, which is why we give the recommendation. Now, if you're doing something where there are no other muscular systems as limiting factors, so like cable curls, all right, it's basically just your biceps, it's not gonna make you out of breath, doesn't have a big nervous system fatigue, you literally can go potentially on like 20 or 30 or less, fewer, five seconds of rest. Because the what you're trying to do is is effectively wait for local muscular fatigue to go away, which may happen in 20 seconds, and then you can go again. So it really depends. Uh, but again, for simplicity, we tend to give general ranges for people so they're not overthinking it or focused on the getting bogged down focused on the wrong stuff in the midst of their session yeah and i think to dive a little bit deeper into this i think that the majority of our clients who have worked with us for a long time um, have gotten better when it comes to rest and taking the prescribed rest um, however with that being said is i know that there are times that like we can get distracted we're talking to other people and we realize like oh instead of the two minute rest that i was supposed to take now four or five minutes have passed and so in those circumstances right like we could be kind of putting it could be at our detriment right like we've now rested too long to where it's like oh now i don't know this set may be more difficult because i've rested too much yeah, I think it's, so if you listen to top people in the industry, they'll often talk about now about not timing rest. Um, but I like when people time it because even if you know you're using that four-factor checklist that I mentioned, it's still good for you to have a sense of about how long it takes you it, with a given movement to get through that four-factor checklist because it's it's very difficult to codify that otherwise and have a sense of what's sensible for you and so you end up either resting for potentially too short of a time or you start to get into the, the mode where you're wasting a little bit of time you're chatting to people and stuff like that and then we're maybe losing a little bit of stimulus there because we're not focused whereas if you have a watch on your your wrist and you're focused on really just doing that you tend in my experience to see people get a little bit better results yeah, and in, in the alternative, <clears throat> something to think about is if you are able in something like, let's say, back squat, right, and we're in hypertrophy and our goal is 12 reps and you're able to hit that and then within 30 seconds or a minute, like, you're able to do it again, like, it may be that, like, your weight is not appropriate and so we're not getting the most out of that. Um, so there's a lot of factors into timing your rest and, and overarching like what your programming look, looks like. So if you are not one of our clients, think about that. Like if you can do, if this is meant to be training for hypertrophy and me meant to be difficult and you're hitting sets of 12 and you're taking 30 seconds rest in between and you're like, meh, I could probably do two more sets of this, then maybe you need to make some adjustments as far as your weight is concerned or how many sets or reps you're doing. I think it's a, a way that you can think about it is maybe some clients get into the boat of like they see, especially in their later weeks of a mesocycle, they see that they have four or five sets of everything prescribed and the mentality is like, I don't want to be here for three hours. I'm just going to kind of move through them. You know what I mean? And I think I can speak on behalf of all three of us and say that we'd rather have someone do 
maybe three like really perfect hard sets and take the time to go through those with maximal effort rather than cruise, take a little bit less rest, not do as many reps and cruise through all five just to kind of get them in. Obviously that doesn't mean like ignore what your coach has prescribed for you and like be like, yeah, I'm not really feeling it. I'll just do two sets. Um, but it's not like a competition. It's like just a, like I have to just get through it. You know what I mean? I think that's, both are excellent points. So to go back to Amanda's point, I think that is extremely well said that if you're able to do something that is very systemically fatiguing, like back squat or deadlift with very little rest, unless you're just learning the movement and therefore expressing it at a, at a light weight, which would make sense because you're just learning and that's the best way to do that safely. Uh, it's very unlikely you're doing, you're, you're using an appropriate weight with that stuff, things that are just that systemically taxing. So big, heavy compound movements, bench press, deadlift, bent over barbell row, back squat, front squat, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I think rise point is also excellent where the goal is not to do the reps. The goal is not to quote unquote, get the sets done or get the work done. And again, this can be a departure depending on people's background and what they've been exposed to with fitness previously. The goal, whether we're training for strength or hypertrophy, is to get the most out of every single set and every single rep, period. And if that means you end up doing fewer of them, but they're far more stimulative, that's okay. That's just a conversation with your coach. But we're not making value judgments on people of how many reps they get or how fast they get through their session or how quickly. And again, this is, this is an issue people, frankly, with people coming out of CrossFit, how quickly they warm up or how, how little stuff they need to do before they can get right into it. They do like a quick EMOM and then they're like right in, like, no, 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 How about we take our time and we get a ton out of it and it takes you four more minutes to warm up. Uh, we take our time with our sets. You absolutely get the stimulus we're looking for and we're not in a big giant hurry, you know, broadly for no reason. Time not being otherwise an issue. Yeah, so in that regard, it kind of takes us to our next question um, uh, of supersets, right? And so if time limitations um, are something that our clients have, right? Like they can't have and be in the gym for two hours, um, then we may prescribe supersets for them uh, to give them a little bit more volume. Uh, but let's, let's talk about potential other reasons or benefits behind them. So the big benefit for supersets for most people is time savings. Uh, that frankly, you can get roughly twice the work done in not twice the time. So maybe 1.3 times the time. Um, and that's good. So when we have people who have time constraints, which is nearly everyone, supersets can play a really good role. Also, if you're really, really strong or you have a hard time finding the mind-muscle connection with a given movement, pre-exhaust supersets can work really well. So an example, if you're in a conventional gym of a pre-exhaust superset would be you do uh, uh, leg, this wouldn't actually be a very, uh, a decent one. So you could do leg <laughs> extensions and then 
uh, like press. Right, oh, so the goal, oh very difficult. <laughs> yeah, uh, very difficult. To uh, but again, if you're in a hurry, or if you have a hard time feeling your quads, the mind-muscle connection with your quads and leg press, that would make sense because your quads are already kind of pre-exhausted. Or if you're really, really strong, and so the, the axial fatigue of doing, or the systemic fatigue of doing leg press with you know 2,400 pounds mm -hmm. is too much. Yeah. You do uh, leg extension, and you can't do as much, but you get a similar stimulus. So for most people, though, that doesn't apply. And what it is, is time. That is a benefit. The issue is, and, and so this can be really good, especially if you do antagonist supersets. So push and pull being a classic one. So bench press and then bent over rows or bench press and pull-ups or something like that. Great idea. Uh, the issue is, is that you're frankly not going to get the same stimulus as if you did both exercises individually as straight sets. So that's just a reality. If you do bench press and then lat pull down or bench press and pull ups, you're already at some level um, fatigued going into the second movement. So you're maybe not going to be able to get as many reps or express it as fully as if you were completely rested. And that's just a reality. So what we have to look at is what are your constraints and what takes priority. So if what takes priority is getting you a good stimulus in a given amount of time, then supersets make sense. If you're not really time constrained, um, in many cases it's just sensible to do heavier compound movements in straight sets and then take full rest. <laughs> Nothing else to add there, I guess, huh? I don't think so. <laughs> the other thing you could do is, is if you do... Um, Pro, like basically agonist supersets. So like uh, with stuff that recovers quickly, like bicep curl to a different variant of bicep curl, um, that can be a good time saver, obviously, but it can help to summate metabolites. So to get a lot of burn in that muscle would be the easier way to think about that, which is, especially for musculature that recovers really, really quickly and doesn't have, doesn't carry with it a lot of fatigue, can be a very effective way to uh, stimulate that muscle. So you're, in that case, you're not really losing anything. The issue is, is you can't use that all the time because your body gets better and better and better at clearing those metabolites and that becomes progressively less effective. So it's a good tool, but it's not a tool we can use endlessly all the time because you get good at it basically. Yeah, uh, I think to kind of give you another example is right now um, in my training, I'm in hypertrophy training. I have a superset, uh, this cycle that is uh, barbell skull crushers directly into close grip bench. So yeah, classic example of agonist superset, yeah. but it also helps you. That's that example of creating the mind-muscle connection, right? Mm -hmm. Because the skull crusher uh, pre-fatigues your triceps and then close grip bench press is I mean obviously you still use your pecs and your front deltoids but you're it is tr like tricep dominant more so than regular certainly wide grip so the idea is to help you a lot of people have a hard time finding the mind muscle connection with uh, close grip bench but it's it's to create that basically and to make your triceps even maybe moreover the limiting factor of that exercise and not have it be diverted to your pecs or your front deltoids. So yeah, that's a great example. Yeah, uh, and I think another thing, especially in, in this day and age, uh, right now when people are still like 
in a position where gyms are not open. Um, it's also supersets are another great way to help kind of push that at home person that may be limited on equipment and another way to kind of continue and progress them as, as they go through their training because they don't have access to full equipment. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. I absolutely agree. Book closed on that one. Yeah, boom. Nothing on that one. (laughs) That's it. Just pulling the Nick Walker, just chilling in that one. Yeah, I don't. I mean, I don't have much more, much more to add. Uh, My only addition was I was going to say like upright rows and lateral raises are another example of kind of two things that you can recover quickly. Like by the time uh, I'd assume you're going to use different weights, so by the time you set down your upright row weight and grab your lateral raise rate weight, here it's uncomfortable. Yes, yes. That's those, those kind of front raises, lateral raises, upright rows, any combination of the three of those pushed together, um, or even if you're doing a tricep, uh, those will definitely wreck, wreck, your, wreck your shoulders for a while. You won't yeah. want to move your arms. <laughs> yeah, uh, but the, then again, the underlying point being for a while, right. and then you get progressively better at recovering from that, and it becomes progressively less effective, and we have to, to move on to something else. Yes. So supersets useful in certain certain situations uh, and something that we will pull out of the toolkit every now and again for people as necessary. I think that's that's an excellent point, too, is these are all tools. And so given your goals, given your time frame, given where you are in terms of training age, they may or may not be appropriate. And that's a great conversation to have with whoever's handling your programming. And that person should have an answer for you, right? So obviously, all of our clients, if you're listening to this, we have an answer for you. Uh, But if you're not a client, this should be stuff that you should be able to ask whoever is doing your programming or yourself, if you're programming for yourself. And there should be logical answers. And if there is not, if that person can't give you a straight answer, that's frankly a red flag. That means that almost certainly things aren't what they could be yeah so moving on to our next questions um if you listened last week we talked about uh recovery that was last week week before some week no it was last week yeah it was was last last week week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah recovery good things to do things that you know may make you feel good but not really help in recovery or may hinder recovery in any sort of way. Um, So if you wanna dive a little bit more deeper into that, go listen to that episode. Um, But if not, the question posed was, when should you um, add into your regimen stretching uh, and or some foam rolling and are there any sort of benefits? So, depending on, Potentially never. Um, So if you have enough mobility that you can, in good positions, move through the entire range of motion of a given movement pattern, um, which frankly is almost everybody. There are some people who we come across who do have uh, considerable mobility restrictions. But for most people, it's frankly just not an issue. Uh, In that case... Uh, stretching has like you're you don't need to do it like it doesn't I mean you can if you like it if it makes you happy if it relaxes you then sure uh, but there's no real benefit so what about so I think something that maybe all of our clients almost all of our clients struggle with is like getting movement throughout the day 
um, especially if they have a job where they're inherently sitting a lot at a desk and it's not a day where they're working out, what about uh, using that, that kind of forces an opportunity to have some sort of movement and break the, if it's your rest day, break the kind of habit of just like sitting there and in, in a sense, increasing blood flow. Yeah, and I, I and so I can really speak to that, obviously, because I have a desk job, so I sit all day, um, and that is hard. Your hips get tight, you you know, you have issues with your back and that sort of thing, um, and so there are times throughout the day that I'll purposely get up and stretch in some form or fashion, and that may just actually be like dropping down and sitting in, in the bottom of a squat for a little while, um, but something to where I'm not going to feel completely horrible when it comes time to um, do my workout. And so in that sense, I think if we think about stretching, it's it's good for you in that sense. Um, but I think the question posed the way it is and, and Ryan's answer to that is everyone thinking, oh, well, I just feel tight. So stretching is going to help me and it's going to make me feel better or somehow do better in my workout. And the reality is, is that's probably not the case because the issue is not that you're not mobile. You can deadlift, you can squat, you can hit depth. It's not an issue. Um, and so in those cer- cer- circumstances, goodness, having a hard time today, um, stretching can play a good role throughout the day if that's going to be your only kind of movement. I think the more of the story between today and then our episode last week is like you don't spending hours the like mentality that you have to have a ramwad subscription and spend hours each day with the lacrosse ball and stretching and film rolling after each workout is unnecessary and if you enjoy it go for it a little bit uh if you feel if it's a way of kind of forcing yourself to get some movement and breaking the pattern of sitting at your desk all day, go for it, but it's not, it's past that. But maybe it's not negative if you, you know, like you said, you get up, pop into a squat or touch the ground real quick and then get back at it. Yeah, yeah I like the idea of using it for movement, especially if you're sitting or in prone positions for long periods of time. I think that can be very sensible. Uh, unfortunately, the idea of coming in and foam rolling or doing some sort of uh, pre-workout mobility stuff has is something that's taken a big effect, kind of through the fitness industry, but certainly within CrossFit, particularly. And you sort you see people do this all the time. The important thing to understand is that that does or can convey some temporary improvements in your mobility. Um, and I've seen this myself. I was doing things where it was like uh, overhead work, like overhead squatting or snatching or things like that. And I have very limited overhead mobility. If I did some mobility work with that prior, uh, I could express those things at a better range of motion. But it didn't solve the underlying problem. It just allowed me to do it for that 40 minutes or whatever. Um, so I think that's what we need to think about is obviously if you have something that's tight, if you have like a hip that's a little angry at you, you know, being on a foam roller can help. Uh, in that moment, get you through that session with a little bit less discomfort, but it doesn't solve the underlying problem. And so we need to make sure that we're not using, you know, band-aids in, in convincing ourselves that we're um, making a big difference. 
Um, and oftentimes, unfortunately, what people see is com high level competitors in a given sport doing this and they just assume because that person does it, I should do it too. And the reality is what they're seeing is that person may have an underlying injury that they have to compete through because this is, you know, they're a high level competitor, but that does not apply to someone who's, who's doing similar things recreationally. So it's important to have some context sometimes to the things we see, especially on social media, that doesn't necessarily indicate that that's stuff that everybody should do. Um, yeah, I think for the most part, some dynamic warm-ups that mimic the movement patterns you're gonna do in your workout tend to suffice for nearly everyone. Uh, and just getting your body temperature up, especially in the wintertime if you live in a cold weather area um, and you're physically cold, getting yourself warm and almost like to where you're sweating tends to get you where you need to be um, and put you in a, in a position to, to move efficiently and effectively and safely. So final part piece on that, because I think we, we, in a sense, maybe contradicted ourselves because at first we said uh, we want to take a couple extra minutes to warm up, but then we also just said not to do foam rolling X, Y, and Z to warm up. And you'll also, if you see one of us, especially the two, you and I, like before we squat, we will hit, you know, pop down in the bottom of a squat, Russian baby maker, stuff like that, stretch our hips. But the difference there is it's not 20 minutes. You know what I mean? It's not 20 minutes on a foam roller. It's not a lacrosse ball. It's a couple air squats, a couple reps with the empty bar, uh, hang out in the bottom of a squat, maybe some goblet squats, and then go for it. So there's a, there is a line between like, well, they said don't foam roll, so I just walk in and do it. But then they also said like, you know, you should, you can take an extra few minutes. So I think exactly what you finished with is like some dynamic stuff, maybe move through the range of motion. Because uh, if you have been sitting all day, the first couple ones are probably going to feel a little rough. But just like I said, like getting blood flow, uh, moving through the range of motion. Yeah, so there is a time and place for stretching. Uh, our stance of it's kind of a waste is in terms of like recovery, right? Like that's not, not going to help you recover better, right? Like so if you're sore, your legs are sore because you squatted, uh, like spending 30 minutes of stretching is not going to then help your recovery. It's not going to help your legs feel better outside of maybe that 30 minutes that you're doing it. And you're potentially causing more damage than actually recovering. But using stretching or doing some foam rolling in terms of preparation for movement or in terms of like getting you to move because you've not moved all day uh, is when it's useful. Potentially. Depends on the person. Right. Right. So again, it, it's this is so individual. If you have excellent hip mobility and you're spending a lot of time mobilizing your hips. Like, I think we would probably argue across the board, like that's kind of a waste of your time, and that almost certainly we could put that more optimally toward other things that align more closely with your goals. So again, this should be something you can ask to whoever's coaching you or handling your programming, and they should have a very direct, very sort of like kind of black and white answer for you. Um, that you can take away from. But as a blanket rule, like do we need to come in and immediately grab a foam roller and a PVC pipe and start doing whatever's with that? Like almost certainly not. All right, next question. <laughs> Ripping through these babies. 
Oh boy. Okay. So, uh, kind of tying this in, uh, as far as like training sore and appropriateness of rest days, um, your structure around rest days, and are there any potential benefits of doing more than one rest day in a row? You wanna you wanna you wanna take this turbo, or you wanna just <laughs> sure? Start, you mean just start sweating and talking? No. <laughs> uh, well, so b we'll start with benefits of rest days, which I think we've covered over the course of the past forty-two episodes in pieces. But we did a whole episode about it. Yeah, yeah we did. Um, so check that out if you want to hear us talk more about rest days. Um, but generally, allow us to recover, obviously. Uh, systemically and in local musculature so if you're sore um, but then also your central nervous system um, especially after very fatiguing hard sessions maybe a squat day or if you're in the CrossFit world and you like just throttled yourself with Fran twice and then fight gone bad and then like slanged a couple beers afterwards maybe after that um, but the general idea being that you allow yourself to recover and prepare for the next session. So you, in the same sense that a deload is to eliminate fatigue uh, systemically and locally, a rest day is kind of a mini, mini deload. If you look at it in terms of a microcycle being the week and then a mesocycle being uh, a series of weeks, um, it's kind of like a mini, mini deload, if you will. So they are uh, necessary unless you just train at a very 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 low intensity um, but with that being said we don't necessarily want to just do nothing on rest days so rest days could also maybe be termed active recovery or blood flow or x y and z um, the idea being that everything is much low lower intensity uh, to allow everything to recover so in terms of consecutive rest days Again, kind of maybe dependent on the person, dependent on the schedule, um, dependent on the level of intensity that you perform during the week. So for us, uh, we generally go two rest days through the week. Well, depending, I guess one of us just, one, uh, both of you, I guess, actually are only one. I'm the one with two. So one to two throughout the week, but not consecutive. So for me, Thursday and uh, Sunday, and then for you guys, just Sunday. Whereas someone who is more of an elite uh, bodybuilder or powerlifter who has very high uh, strength and they can exert a lot of force and produce a lot of intensity, they may need longer to recover. So like we've mentioned before, like elite powerlifters can maybe only deadlift once every couple weeks. So obviously they're working out other days than just the one day a week that they deadlift. But if you look at that in terms of the amount of time needed to recover, they may not be able to go hard every single day of the week in the same sense that we can. It's so dependent on the person. So, yeah, if you look at a lot of our people, uh, a lot of them have two to three rest days. So a lot of times that looks like, for example, uh, two days on, one day off, three days on, and then one day off. Uh, in some cases, it's two days on, one day off, two days on, two days off and everything in between, right? So, and then of course for us, yeah, so our split, Amanda's and my split is six on, one off, uh, and then Rise is three on, one off, two on, one off. Yeah, and so you know, there is some interesting literature that consecutive rest days do promote 
a benefit, a greater benefit than if you split them up. However, the reality is, is it's super individually dependent and where you think you recover the best. It also uh, can be very sensible to place your rest, rest days to space out your most taxing things. So for example, whether we're training for strength of hypertrophy, using a rest day to further allow you further recovery in between say your quad focused squatting day and your glute and hamstring focused hinging day. Uh, because that musculature is so big, takes comparatively a long time to recover and beats you up uh, systemically, it can make sense to have more rest. Uh, for other people, uh, again, people who are very, very strong, they may require more rest days. There's, of course, though, you know, IFBB pro bodybuilders whose split is six days a week and they do, you know, 10 sessions a week. So it's just everywhere in between. The thing to think about is we don't want to be training musculature that's still sore from the previous session almost certainly now does this mean if you have a very little bit of light soreness or if you're just recovered you shouldn't train not necessarily however that what it does mean is you should be adding volume if that's the case uh, week over week because you're you need to give your body more lead time to recover what we don't want is you squat for the first time in three weeks and everything is brutally sore. This has happened to me. Uh, your quads, your adductors, your low back, your glutes, like you can barely go down the steps and you're not, you know, somebody else is controlling your programming or it's programming that's kind of for everybody. And there's some other squatting thing programmed later in the week and you're walking into it and it, it like you can't physically do an air squat. That's a situation where it's like potentially actively dangerous for you to do that again. In a less severe scenario, we try to have our clients communicate with us and it's feedback, right? So it affects the next week's uh, programming, but in terms of overlapping soreness. And if we're finding we have overlapping soreness uh, on the, say, the second day targeting a muscle group in a given week, we adjust the volume for the next week. And we may actually adjust the movements in real time, uh, again, for safety and efficacy. So. Consecutive rest days could be fine if it's uh, to your liking and fits with the rest of your life. Uh, in terms of optimality, it really depends on the person, which is dependent on gender, strength, training age, etc. Yeah, I think the, the the last piece, obviously, to this is is it also uh, correlates with your ultimate goals and your schedule, right? So if training is important to you, but you're saying, oh, my life is too busy and I can only commit three days a week, um, you know, obviously then structuring what those three days of training look like for you is going to be very important um, and, and what days you attack those, right? And so if you're someone who is three days a week and you're like, okay, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then you do nothing for the next four days, right? That's not going to be the most optimal way for you to structure your programming or get the most out of what you want. So again, it goes back to what is your overarching goal and how long of a timeline do you want to achieve that goal? Yeah, so I've, 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 well, I have two, two different points. One being uh, an interesting way. So a, a study recently came out from Brad Schoenfeld, who is a pretty uh, well, yeah, well-respected name in terms of uh, all things exercise science and hypertrophy. Um, and he essentially the findings from the study said that if you 
can still go through the range of motion, even if you're, so you walk into the session, you are sore in your biceps, we'll say, but you can still go through the range of motion and perform uh, at the volume that is prescribed or at the intensity that is prescribed, then it's perfectly okay to still go through that movement and you're still gonna derive hypertrophy from that. So that kind of contradicts, in a sense, what was previously kind of uh, believed um, in terms of like, if something's sore, don't train it at all. So what that's not saying though, is it's mimicking what we just said in the sense that like, if you're able to still go through things and you feel generally okay, then it's okay. But if you're so systemically fatigued and you're so sore that you can't actually do the movement or you're doing like warm up weights and it feels awful, then it's, that's where to call it. So we're not saying just like they said, it's okay to do it sore. What we're saying is if you're still a little bit sore, but you can still go through the range of motion, you can still easily do the volume that is prescribed, then then that's the instance where it is okay. Yeah, that's an excellent point, especially that element like if you're taking your warm-ups and normal warm-up weight that you just breeze through without thinking feels horrible, like awful, and it's not getting better, that's a good indication that you're overreached at some level or not fully recovered at some level. But if you're able to hit your working weights and they're challenging, but you're, you're hitting your targets or you're very, very close, uh, chances are you're probably fine. We just need to make sure we aren't necessarily pushing your volume a lot higher than next week because you're still a little behind. Yeah. So or with the, that, before you go to your next point, the other thing with that too is, is that there are some times where you come in and you feel sore. You're like, man, I don't know that I can squat today. I feel sore, but then you're doing it and you just needed to move, right? Like you just needed to go through some squats and you feel fine. And so that's the other thing is, is you can't let that, oh, I feel sore today. So it's just going to deter you from doing what you need to do. That's a, just a mindset adjustment that you need to make. And that it was like, okay, yep. Squatted two days ago, legs don't feel the greatest. Now I'm deadlifting. I did my warm up. I feel great. And now we're moving on from it. Yeah, I think that's like, like we just like how you're, if you're still able to go through the range of motion and the things are relatively normal. So my, my last thing, maybe we can end it here as we're running a little lengthy. Um, so in my own training, or maybe uh, if you're more strength focused, um, sometimes you'll see where you're doing certain movements or a certain movement pattern in consecutive days. So this is something if you I'm not sure who would pay that close of attention and see me work out, but if you're one of our clients and you see that I'm maybe benching two days in a row or I'm doing some sort of squatting movement two days in a row, you may think, well, that just completely disregards everything we just said. So maybe we can explain a little bit as to why I'm doing that or why in a strength training block we're doing that. So I can kind of start it off and then you can pick up. So first thing would be that some movement patterns recover a lot quicker than other ones. So deadlifting is a lot more fatiguing than bench pressing. So I ha and I can bench press two days in a row, whereas I may not be able to deadlift two days in a row. And second, uh, a lot of times with strength programming, um, the volume or the intensity may not be high enough for me to be extremely sore and systemically fatigued. The idea being that I'm building volume and intensity over the course of a micro cycle, cycle or a mesocycle or a macro cycle. 
So day to day, I may be able to recover, especially in the beginning. And then as things get more intense and heavier, as time goes on, that will probably diminish. But that's why I'm able to do maybe two days or three days even of benching variations and two days of squatting variations because I can recover in between and it's not enough volume and intensity to fatigue me. And you can generally, they aren't two days of extremely high intensity. One will probably be more intense and heavier. The second day will probably be a little bit lighter, either technique focused, or if the first day is my normal bench press, then the second day may be some dumbbell variants or uh, tricep accessories, X, Y, and Z, stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's again, it's the, depending on your size and your strength. But a lot of times people can handle benching or doing that movement pattern, you know, four or five times a week, which seems like it'd be insane. But the reality is, is if you manage and allow the intensity to undulate, so maybe your your big session is early in the week and then it's a series of small and medium sessions throughout the rest of the week, uh, you actually can manage that quite well in strength programming. You know, the other side of the coin for this is we need to train with enough frequency to optimally get where we want to go and that is almost certainly for just about everybody uh more than once a week so there is a huge uptick in results when you take your frequency in a given movement pattern or a given muscle group from one to two times a week it is a giant change and there's still a change uh, three times a week and for some muscle groups a four and five not all, but some. And so that's, again, it's an individually focused question. Um, but we just want to make sure that when you're doing that, you feel generally recovered. And again, to your point earlier, you have to look at the other scope of your day. So if you were sitting the entire time and you get up and you feel super tight, well, it's not necessarily because you're under-recovered. It's because you're sitting for six hours. And we just need to move around a little bit. So it's you have to be a thinking athlete about that and ensure that that what you're perceiving is is reality. Yeah. So I think at the end of the day, all of these were great questions. So we appreciate those of you submitting those questions to us. Um, at the end of the day, the answer for all of these is it depends. And it's why uh, our clients work with us. It's why we want you guys to be thinking athletes, thinking about the reasoning behind your training, your recovery, and everything in between. Uh, We will continue to do these Q&As as we go through uh, different times and ask you guys to submit questions, but you can always submit questions to us via email, either at Amanda, Ryan, or Rye at theaerobicpowerbuilder.com. Super, super easy. Uh, Or you can shoot us a message on Facebook or Instagram, also at theaerobicpowerbuilder. And if you haven't yet, check out all of our videos on YouTube. Some fun hype things to get you excited for Monday training. Or Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday. <laughs> All days. Sometimes. Smash one when you're walking in, smash your weights, get bigger and stronger, become more attractive. It's literally that simple. That's how it works. What happens when you, what do you listen to or watch on the way out? Uh, classical music. You want to calm down. You want to go into that recovery state. So only when you're on your way to the gym slash at the gym when you're coming out classical music only or relaxing podcasts or nothing so you can relax that's it that's it all right we will see you guys next weekend